Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Hey there, Sissy Goff. Hi, David Thomas. Glad to be back together and excited that today we are going to talk about being a consistent parent. <laughs> and I think we should start our conversation by me asking you, what are you doing consistently right now? What's something you're doing? So what I would say I'm doing consistently in this season is that I'm trying to be with my almost two-year-old nephew as much as possible. And you and I actually had a conversation early on, I think it was when my mom was really sick, or maybe two months after that when the pandemic started or something in that stretch of time that was super stressful, and you saying, you just be with that little fella and all the oxytocins his presence brings. And I've thought about that so much that in this, you know, I feel like coming out of at least a year period of time that has been so stressful, just being with someone who makes me laugh so much has been, I really am trying to consistently do that for my own self-care, really, I think is what it's about. That's a great question. That little guy is good medicine for he all of us. good medicine for all of us. I know. I need to watch a video of him laughing just daily. My answer to that question is I am consistently letting my Apple Watch boss me around <laughs> in really good ways. I was late to the party of getting an Apple Watch, and I'm really thankful that I made that investment because it's reminding me to stand up more and it's reminding me to breathe and it's reminding me to move my body and a lot of things that I just was not paying as good attention to that I need to be paying attention to but it's real bossy yeah and so but in an encouraging way like I always laugh at how if I haven't been moving much throughout the day it's like you can still keep going. It's like a real positive <laughs> way of saying like, do you have a pulse today? Because you've been laying around a lot. But you can still keep going. I love that because my reaction to my Apple Watch, I feel like is like straight out of an Enneagram One handbook. I'm always like, what? Am I not breathing okay? Is my pulse not right? Why is it telling me to breathe right now? I'm, I just feel like I'm doing something wrong. I'm glad you think it's encouraging. I'll, that'll mm-hmm. reframe my relationship with my Apple Watch. <laughs> Be open to your Apple Watch mm-hmm. helping you out. I love that you brought up that word because I think parents struggle with the idea of consistency and what that looks like in parenting. I think more than any other topic I hear about in my office, especially in regard to discipline and how do we handle different situations that come up. And Walter Wangerin, who is an author that I really love, says that discipline is an extended and carefully managed event not a sudden, spontaneous, personal reaction to the child's behavior. 
I'm going to say that again because I think it's so helpful. Discipline is an extended and carefully managed event, not a sudden, spontaneous personal reaction to the child's behavior. And it is so easy to have sudden, spontaneous personal reaction to a child's behavior. And as we talked about before, often it's that one child that it's easy to have those. And I read a study that talked about how the two biggest mistakes that parents make in terms of discipline. I think there are things that ladies that are listening, I think we're a little more guilty of both of these things in the way that God has uniquely gifted us. And those are too much talk and too much emotion that those are the two biggest mistakes parents make in terms of discipline. And and I love that Walter Wangeren's definition is different than that, because I think often our reactions are more personal, are more sudden and spontaneous when we're feeling all of that emotion. And out of that emotion, we lean into too much talk. And we watch it happen in our counseling offices all the time where We're meeting with a family together, and the parents kind of launch into a lecture, and the kids' eyes just glaze over. And it even happens in consequences, and you can think about how often you can find yourself repeating yourself or getting louder and louder and louder. And I think sometimes it's because we're waiting for the kids we love to say something like, thank you, that was really helpful to me. (laughs) And they're going to do that when they're 30. They're not going to do that anytime soon. So... There are a few things that we would say in terms of consequences or discipline because really consistency is key in terms of that. Follow through is key because one of the complaints we hear the most from parents in our offices, and I would imagine you hear this too, are kids who say things, you know, you say, I'm going to need your tablet, or you are grounded from X event, and they say, whatever, I don't care about that anyway. It doesn't matter to me. And David and I would both say from experience sitting with kids day in and day out that they're lying, that that is not even a true statement. But for that child, they have a personality often that dictates that they feel like they have to win, and they want the last word as a part of that personality too. And so the fact that you gave a consequence means that you won. So they have to get back at you somehow. They have to get in that last word or that way of winning. And so them coming back with whatever is them trying to win that argument. So for you to know that if you have been consistent and you have laid out some kind of consequence for them, you've won. It doesn't matter what their reaction is. So we want to think about something different than that sudden, spontaneous, personal reaction to their behavior, whether it's before or after the consequences in the whatever. And and really, when we think about discipline, what happens often is a child acts out, say they're really disrespectful, and we say that example before, okay, you've just lost your device. And our hope is that next time they act out, they'll think beforehand, well, the last time I did this, I got myself grounded. I don't want to do that again. So I'm going to stop right here. Now, those of you who are listening know that that happens like maybe 0.001% of the time. It just doesn't much work. And in effect, when a child acts out and then we give a consequence, we're regulating them. And really, I think the goal of 
discipline or us trying to be consistent in that way is teaching kids self-regulation. There are two main things we would say in light of that. One is you want to start with some kind of warning system. So giving them a chance first to self-regulate in that moment. So one of the things that we do often in our offices is we talk about a stoplight system. So red light, yellow light, green light, and that you just simply say to your child, yellow light. And because you've talked about it ahead of time, that means they know I'm about to get in trouble. I need to stop my behavior in this moment. It's basically a warning. Or if your child's being disrespectful, one of our favorite lines is try again. And if after they've tried again, they still don't get it, then you give them a consequence. But some kind of warning gives them the opportunity to regulate themselves rather than us just throwing out some attempt to regulate them. So we would say always start with a warning and then you hand out a consequence, but we love consequences that build on themselves because so often they think you are giving consequences out of what Walter Wengerin talked about, the sudden spontaneous personal reaction. Instead, when there are consequences that build on themselves, they see cause and effect. And they're not naturally going to think that with their little brains. And so when it is something like, I'm going to need your tablet, they keep going with disrespect. Now I'm going to need your tablet for the next hour. Now you're at an hour and a half. Bummer, now you've lost it for two. Or one of our favorite consequences with kids that are old enough, and if you live in a place this is safe, is to have them run. So run up and down the driveway once or run a lap around the house. So then your child acts out in some way, you know, again, disrespect or hits their sibling or something, and you say, now you've earned a lap. And then they keep going with whatever it is. Now we're at two. Bummer, now we're at three laps. And hopefully they're going to think, I'm making things a lot worse for myself. I better turn the ship around. And again, that's teaching self-regulation rather than us regulating them. So those are really the two primary things we would say in terms of thinking about big picture consistency and consequences. And David, I do feel like there's a phenomenon that boys do, particularly in light of this, and some girls are guilty of it too, but will you talk a little bit about that and what can help? I'd love to. And I think it feels important to highlight this because I have this conversation so often in my office. Boys are, in my experience, skilled negotiators. And I think some boys in particular, in fact, if you're a parent listening and you're parenting a really bright kid, a boy or a girl, I think really bright kids can be skilled negotiators. They have just have a strong mastery of language. You know, they make great debaters and they know how to turn a conversation in ways that I had a mom years ago say, living with him is like living with a terrorist in the middle of a hostage crisis. Like he just traps us in this space and then wants to negotiate the terms beyond that. And I think many boys do that. And what's happening within that is a pattern that I call anchoring. It's back to the age old saying of misery loves company. You know, when I feel yucky on the inside, I'd like to tie an anchor around your waist and drag you to the bottom of the lake with me and you feel yucky with me. And I think boys do that because it's difficult, as you were discussing, for them to self-regulate. They want to move toward anchoring themselves to someone else and have them do the work of regulation for them. It's like, I don't want to navigate the discomfort inside of me. I'm going to trap you. I'm going to create a hostage crisis. I'm going to negotiate my way through this. And then I don't have to live with the discomfort. And I believe 
that inability to work through the discomfort of life, you know, in the recovery community, they call it living life on life's terms. I think living life on life's terms can be really hard for boys and is a part of why I think males lead the statistics in a lot of scary places, things like substance abuse and self-harm and suicide and so many places that are evidence of where boys can't do life on life's terms. And so I think starting early, it's so important to interrupt this pattern of anchoring or what I also call dropping the rope. Sometimes in my office, I will have parents think about the age-old game of of tug-of-war. Most of us play tug-of-war at field day in elementary school. And I think boys can turn exchanges. And moms, I'm going to challenge you in particular. I think because so often you tend to be the safest place on earth for a boy, he will be quick to play emotional tug-of-war with you. He'll be quick to anchor to you. And so pay very close attention to how easy it is to step into that trap. And think on tug-of-war. If one person on one side drops the rope, the game is over. The other person is welcome to keep tugging as long as they want to, but they're just going to fall backwards at that point. The game is over. But as long as we're hanging on to the rope, tug of war is still going on. And I think, again, boys would like to tie that rope around your waist and keep it going for long periods of time. And not only do I think that interrupts developing self-regulation, as Sissy was talking about, I think it can also establish this pattern with boys in their relationships with females, that that's always what you do when you're struggling. Like the female that you feel closest to. I have so many boys who will do that with their moms and then they do it with their girlfriend. And I think they probably turn around and do it with their wives at some point. And that game of tug of war continues all throughout its development. And so I laughed with some parents I was meeting with a while back and the mom said to me, David, I feel like I'm playing tug of war 20 of 24 hours sometimes with him and she said i realize how fruitless it is and in our my kids on track i talk about how it's a bit like arguing with a drunk that if you think about what's going to happen if you're trying to have a thoughtful conversation with an intoxicated person it's probably Mm -hmm. not going to go well they're not sober minded in a way that they're capable of having that conversation which i think speaks to what you talked about a little bit earlier of where it's like we're waiting on them to make all the great connections and say, yeah. thanks, mom, that was so helpful. And they're just not in a place to be able to do that in those moments. So I'm so glad you tabled that. I think girls certainly do that too. And we've talked about that a lot, that it feels like in the absence of healthy coping strategies that so often today for kids, their parents become the coping strategy. And I think girls are so verbal that often they will get into these verbal back and forths. Probably the closer they move toward adolescence, the more likely they are to do the same. And I have so many kids who I think rather than learning an appropriate way to handle their anger, I think for girls, their moms particularly become their coping strategy and just using their moms as kind of a punching bag in a similar way. And and so I think in light of both of those things, one of the other things we would say in terms of consistency that's so important is just to stay out of power struggles with them. It's just never helpful. And Love and Logic is a series of books that we recommend really highly. And they say, avoid power struggles at all costs, but if you end up in one, you need to win it. And that's kind of what we would say in terms of being consistent too, that they don't need to feel like they win. 
and kids are going to push for that. And one of the things that we talk with parents a lot about is that if we let kids get away with being the worst versions of themselves, that's who they will believe they are. And that's not what we want them to believe. And so it is so important that we are bigger than they are. When they push against us that they feel like we're strong and steady enough to take it and that we're going to give them reasonable, logical, not sudden, spontaneous consequences, and that we're going to be consistent in that. So avoiding power struggles is really important. And I think what you said ties into this too, you know, that we, if we think about Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson and all of their books talk about the upstairs and downstairs brain, or we could say it in light of the amygdala and when it hijacks our brain and we move into fight or flight, or I know people who call it the reptile brain or the lizard brain, and it's what you're talking about. That if any of us are in a more agitated state like that, where our amygdala has hijacked our brain, our reptile brain, whatever it is, if we're giving consequences in that place or a child is in that place as we're trying to, nothing constructive is going to come out of it. And so we have a practice that we recommend that's going to be one of our intentional practices that we'll come back to in light of that. And then I think one last thing I would say with consequences, a conversation I have with parents all the time, and I, again, I would guess you have this similar conversation, is they'll say, you know, there are a lot of consequences we'd like to do, like running, for example, but our child would no more run. If we said, go take a lap, they would say, you go take a lap, which is another concerning thing. Anyway, but there are kids that there is no way to get them to add something to their list, you know. Having a child clean the bathroom is a great consequence. There are so many things that we could give them as a consequence. But for those kids, it's got to be something that's enforceable. Because again, you have to win in giving them a consequence. And so with those kids, it's more easy to take something away. So like something that they're looking forward to that you can take. Now, I heard somebody say once that kids with any kind of attention deficit have two time frames, and it's now and not now. And I think Kids in general are often like that. And so we, when we give a consequence that's a month out, something they're looking forward to, by the time you get to that event, they're not even going to remember why they were grounded in the first place. So we do think short-term is probably better, but giving them something that you can take away, again, though, that you can add to, because if it's one thing, you know, it's better to probably say, okay, you can't do anything Friday night. Now you can't do anything Saturday day. Now you can't do anything Saturday night. And then they've lost their whole weekend rather than just you're grounded for the weekend because often they're going to push back initially. So it needs to be enforceable. And if we were to go back to the love and logic people, they have a great concept called the energy drain with kids. And Say kids are even arguing in the back seat back and forth to say, well, you have just drained all of my energy and you can replace that by, if it's a child, you can make do something, they can clean the kitchen. Or if you need an enforceable consequence, you could say, I'll be taking such and such game that they love for the next evening or something like that, that is paying back that energy to you. But they are great. I mean, we love that about the Love and Logic folks, that they have so many recommendations in their books. So we would highly recommend them. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award-winning children's Bible written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer? The Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection 
to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gomeno.com. That's shop.gomeno.com. If we were going to talk about a few specifically intentional practices, I think the first really would be that code word idea. And I'll have families do this even before they get to a consequence where when they can tell, you know, if we're talking about that one to 10 scale, if you can tell somebody's marching up the scale to have a word that you agree on ahead of time, whatever it is, you know, watermelon, I mean, it can be anything. And then when one family member says the word, then that means you're going to take some time. Everybody's going to get back to their non-reptile brain, get their amygdala, calm back down, and then you're going to come back. And you may still give a consequence, but at least you will be doing it in a calmer, more reasonable, and where they can hear you manner, which is what we're really going for. David, what would you say is another good practice to think about? I would say think about coming up with a list of your kids' currency, and that's going to change in each season. But I'd have a list of that plugged into your device or written down somewhere to remind you and to know that that's going to be different for every kid. There are some kids who docking their allowance would be a real hit because they care deeply about money. There'd be some kids that taking away time from a birthday party or spend the night. Think about even how Sissy broke it down over the weekend. That's a great thing to do. Rather than saying you've lost the whole birthday party, say, I'll be taking you 15 minutes late to the birthday party. I'll be taking you 30 minutes late to the birthday party or put it on the backside. I'll be picking you up now an hour early from the spend the night on Saturday morning. But working with smaller chunks of time so that there's more to take away and again, matching with, as Sissy talked about, kind of their sense of time. But for some kids, technology, for many kids, I would say technology is their currency. So think about what it would be with each kid individually, and again, knowing that that's going to change in each season. I remember a mom saying to me who had a son and daughter, she said that they were fighting so much, she just was done. And she said, I'm going to need everybody's phone right now. They were adolescents. And she said, of course, her daughter just handed the phone over because it was in her hand. And her son was like, oh, mom, hold on just a second. Well, I'm not really sure. Well, give me a minute. And, you know, it was down at the bottom of his backpack and turned off. And now, obviously, there are boys who are probably in this day and time as addicted to their phones as girls. But I think that's such a picture of currency and paying attention to where they are. And then the last idea I think we would say is just to be really aware of choosing your battles. And you have heard it before, but the closer your kids get to adolescence, the harder that's going to be. And the reality is if every time your teenager was disrespectful, if you grounded them, they would never leave their rooms because it's going to happen so often. And so you really do have to think about what are the very most important things. I have started saying to parents, I want you to even think about your child's biggest infractions. Like what are the things that you want to feel like you need to discipline the most And I want you to let the bottom 20% go, whatever that is. And I have a really neat mom that I'm working with. And she said, you know, I had this realization the other day that I just need to chalk part of what's going on with my daughter to teenage moments. And I'm going to let those things go. And obviously, there are certain things I'm going to step into and give her consequences for, but she is going to have teenage moments. Her brain is not finished forming, and so I have got to give her moments for that to be the case. And so what does it look like to choose your battles? Because 
I think to be consistent in that is going to make your voice matter more and your child respect you more. It's just going to strengthen your relationship. Obviously, you still always want to be bigger, but you want to prioritize relationship really more than anything still, even in the midst of when things are hard and in harder stretches like adolescence. And now Melissa is going to anchor us to some truth. You never know. I never knew how my mom would respond. I never knew if my dad would show up. I never knew if the rules had changed. I never knew if it was safe to open up. I never knew what her anger would lead to. These are some voices, some words from some kids. And then one of them said at the end, there's one thing I do know. It's always unpredictable. It's always like a roller coaster. And my anxiety stays with me all the time because I never know. My grandmother used to look at me, and she had these twinkling blue eyes, sometimes steely. Usually, she would say, and this was during my narcissistic years, teenage years, and probably on into my 20s and maybe 30s, and she would just say to me, Melissa, or she said, me, Lissa, you just don't know, do you? And then she would take my hand, and with the other hand, she would lift her crooked finger, and she would very naturally say, you don't know, do you? All over again, until I would admit, I don't know nothing. And we would laugh and laugh. And now, years later, I see the wisdom in that little time that we had. And I would love now to look at my grandmother and squint my blue eyes because I got them from her. And I'd love to take her hand and I'd love to put my now crooked finger. And I would like to say with humble confidence, grandmother, the older I get, the less I know. But what I do know, boy, I really know. The truth today comes from Hebrews 13.8 in the message, and it says, There should be a consistency that runs through us all. For Jesus doesn't change yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's always totally himself. There should be a consistency. Don't usually like to use the word should, but if in the Bible, we will go with it. Because right after that, it says for. For Jesus doesn't change. Because Jesus doesn't change, there can be a consistency in us all. Since Jesus doesn't change. Since Jesus is always totally himself. Sally Lloyd-Jones has said, the Bible is a love story. And children need to know, there's that word again, they need to know that they are loved by the one who made them, no matter what. They are loved by the one who made them, always, forever, period. And it doesn't depend on how nice they are. It depends only on Jesus and what he has done for them. Oh, the love that will not let us go. Sally Lloyd-Jones continues to say, 
that she often asks when she speaks to kids, how many of you think you have to be good for God to love you? How many of you think God will stop loving you if you aren't being good? And she says most will naturally raise their hands and say yes. Well, those kids grow up. They become adults. They become parents. And it's so easy for us all, for parents especially, to begin to parent out of fear that they're going to lose it, they're going to mess up, they're going to fail. To parent out of fear, to keep trying hard not to fail, again, comes so natural to us. But our hope is to parent out of love, not out of fear. That for parents, they know, we all know we should be consistent, but that our responses so often are rooted in the realities of yesterday, of today, and the fears of the future. More rooted in that than in the truth, the written Word of God, the living Word of God, the truth of the love of Jesus. Oh, there's much I don't know, I say to my grandmother. But what I do know, what I have experienced, has changed me. And that as I receive and experience the love of God, I can be more and more consistent because He is in my life. That's my prayer for all of you. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, so that we can be totally ourselves. When I think back on, Sissy, you talking earlier about those two traps of too much talk and too much emotion. I think about the wisdom of Proverbs ten nineteen in the message says, the wise measure their words. And I think that's a reminder I need with consistency. And not only as it's connected to that, but thinking also as we've been talking about how often I think we can take away from a consequence with a lecture, that we add so much language, so much verbiage to it, that we're actually taking away from an opportunity where kids can make that great connection that we were talking about a little bit earlier that we want them to make in terms of discipline. So we hope this has been an encouragement to you all, and we can't wait to come back together in some time with you. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family, which shows kids love and values parents' trust. Check them out at podcast.gomino.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.